0: media podcast network presents this is protecting america now, here's Emmy-winning journalist Rita Cosby.
1: And welcome to another edition of Protecting America. Gas prices are skyrocketing and President Biden keeps blaming it all on Vladimir Putin. Meantime, things are heating up in Ukraine in the war as Russian rhetoric intensifies and the Kremlin makes some military strides on the battlefield that are not good for Ukraine. But Also, Ukraine getting some good news from countries tied to the EU and joining us now to discuss all of this and also her own recent trip to Normandy, France, retracing the steps of her family. I can't wait to hear all about it is Victoria Coates, President Trump's Deputy National Security Advisor. Victoria, great to have you here on the show. Thanks for having me on, Rita. You know, so many things to discuss. I first want to ask you about this recent news that uh, looks like leaders of the European Union have formally approved Ukraine's candidate status to join them. That's sort of the first official step toward full membership. What's your reaction to this? Well, it's a
0: little bit like we've gone through the looking glass because suddenly our friends in the European Union are taking a stronger stance towards Putin's Russia than the United States is. And if you think back a couple of months when the Biden administration took NATO membership for Ukraine off the table, well, now we're past 120 days of this war. I think he's proven himself provoked, whatever we do. But here the EU is perfectly happy to extend this membership in the EU, this first step.
1: And do you think that that's just par for the course?
0: It certainly appears to be. What The other thing that's been happening recently is the EU has been looking at increasingly strict sanctions on Russian energy as they're trying to take the steps that, you know, a lot of Republicans, including President Trump, had been urging them to take for low these many years to not be dependent on Russian energy. And the Biden administration has come out in recent days saying, oh, actually, we want to pull back on that a little bit. Maybe the EU shouldn't put these strong sanctions on Europe because, or on Russia, rather, because they're so scared of higher gas prices. So it really seems to be part of a pattern.
1: And, you know, they're scared of higher gas prices, um, and yet it also seems that President Biden's also scared of Vladimir Putin still. He still seems to try to be walking on eggshells.
0: That's the thing, is if you want to modify his behavior, you have to behave with sort of consolidated strength. And we had this moment a couple of months ago at the beginning of the war when Russia was so clearly the aggressor, as they continue to be, but when the world first saw this close up, and you saw companies you know, fleeing Russia. You saw the Europeans changing their stride. What an opportunity for the president of the United States to truly lead the free world. And we have next week the combination of a NATO summit and a G7 meeting, huge opportunity for the United States to reassume a strong leadership position. Unfortunately, I don't see any evidence of that out of this administration.
1: How would you rate President Biden's performance so far on Ukraine, because here it has been dragging a few months. It's
0: hard to give anything above an F on this one. The administration was up on Capitol Hill right before the invasion briefing the Congress that this would be a three-day war, and then we would be arming an insurgency. And that's what drove their strategy in terms of both funding and supplying the Ukrainians, which of course was completely wrong because the Ukrainians fought back, they made gains. They were starting to win and seen Putin have to dramatically pare down his goals. For the invasion to targeting a much more limited portion of the eastern part of the country. And that in and of itself should be a huge victory. But the point being that the Biden vote got this wrong from the get-go. They were sending them the wrong weapons. They didn't have the well of congressional support they needed. And so now we're just kind of lurching from emergency request to emergency request with no clear strategy in
1: sight. And yet here is President Zelensky in the Ukraine. He is pleading. He's like, we need more weapons. We need more long range weapons, because right now it's basically uh, it seems like the Russian army to the Ukrainian army. It's about like a five to one artillery. So they've got the upper hand. The president keeps
0: blaming every economic woe in the United States on Putin's invasion of Ukraine. If that be true, then why aren't you doing everything possible to end it? it's like it's this woe that he just can't do anything about it. No, if you say this is what's causing all of this economic pressure on the American people, then why aren't you trying to end this war? And you could do it one of two ways. I mean, I would favor figuring out the path to victory and then going down that path and explaining to the American people and their representatives in Congress why you need what you need to achieve that victory. Or you could say, we can't achieve victory. You know, we're too weak. We have to negotiate something with Putin and pressure the Ukrainians to give up some piece of the eastern Ukraine. I don't favor that solution, but that is a path. But pick one and go down it and end this if this is what's causing such misery for the American people.
1: That's a great point. So, To that end, do you think that maybe the reason he's continuing this or this drip, drip, drip is to have a fall guy, to have a punching bag?
0: It's interesting. I was working on some polling last week on American support for the war in Ukraine, for the Ukrainians specifically, obviously. And, you know, it remains bipartisan strong. You know, the American people don't like Vladimir Putin. They don't want him to be successful. They don't see that ending well for not only the Ukrainians, but many of our other friends and partners in Europe. And so, you know, that clarity is there. And where then they show a lot of concern is with the lack of strategy on Biden's part. The American people are concerned. And then, you know, you have this enormous price tag, you know, $40 billion in May. You know, they're signaling they're going to come back and ask for more,
1: maybe as early as September. So what do you think we should do?
0: I think we need to figure out what our goals are, what's possible, what's feasible. You know, we're in a different world than we were on February 1st of this year, particularly in terms of where the Europeans are. And if we decided we wanted to win this and we wanted to help Europe, you know, we could do the sorts of things that the American energy majors like Mike Wirth from Chevron recently pointed out to the president, you know, let us drill, give us leases, help us expand our export facilities, stop frustrating and dampening down the United States oil industry and gas industry. Don't just go beg the Saudis for more oil the way the president's poised to do next month. Work with the Saudis as a fellow producing nation to stabilize and amply uh, supply global energy markets. So the world doesn't need Putin anymore, and he doesn't have anything to fall back on. That's where I'd start.
1: How embarrassing is it that, like you just said, very soon he's going to be going over to Saudi. Of course, he called the Saudis the pariah state when he was on the campaign trail and said he's going to basically put them in their place. Here it is. He's going there with basically a tin cup and begging from the Saudis, please help us. How weak does that look to the rest of the world? To the Saudis. It looks extremely weak. And he can't seem
0: to get his story straight. Recently, he said that he actually wasn't going to meet with the Crown Prince, Mohammed bin Salman, or MBS as most people call him, Uh, when he went. He was going to an international meeting, President Biden said, and that MBS might happen to be there. I mean, that's ridiculous. Of course, you're going to meet with him. He's the one with his finger on the tap. And if what you're going to ask for is somewhere, you know, up to or including a million barrels a day for some period of time so you can mitigate gas prices here in the states it's It's not really successful to start by saying, "Oh, I'm not going to go meet with him," even though I'm going to his capital, where he's the de facto ruler it's It's just it's nonsensical, and I think you know the the Saudis who I would much prefer to be coordinating partners with the United States, I don't think are going to have a lot of time
1: for this. Do you think that they're also saying, oh, gosh, look how cobbling and how feeble this looks because he's coming to us. He needs us now. And they know what he said on the campaign trail. I mean, they've seen everybody replaying those comments over and over again. Doesn't that put us, sadly, in a position of weakness with them?
0: Oh, absolutely. Because remember, under President Trump in March of 2017, MBS came here with confoundments. And to meet with the president, a very successful visit, then the president made his historic trip to Riyadh and then took the first direct flight from Riyadh to Jerusalem, first time that had ever happened. And that really set the stage for what became the Abraham Accords and, you know, this extraordinary rapprochement between Israel and our Arab friends and allies. So that was a president acting from a position of strength. And making clear to a partner and ally like Saudi Arabia, I know that for years and years, we've pretended you can't fly from Riyadh to Jerusalem. But guess what? We're going to do it. And the sky didn't fall and the streets didn't run with blood. And we actually eventually got to the historic peace deals. So that's the way to do it. And you have that clear example. What's interesting is Biden is doing it all in the reverse. You know, he's starting in Jerusalem, then he's going to Saudi. Nobody's coming to see him first. It's really... A shambles
1: and also the crown prince and it sounds like a whole bunch of others weren't even returning president biden's phone calls recently i mean there were so many reports of that to me it breaks my heart because america is the greatest country in the world you want us to be portrayed as these great leaders that we are and we're supposed to be on the world stage and yet it doesn't send a good signal if they're not even returning as phone calls my goodness victoria coates
0: it's embarrassing. And I'm the new president and ruler of, of UAE, Mohammed bin Zayed, MBZ, is was another one who was a little bit slow to pick up the phone. That should never be between the United States and these key partners. And I agree. It, it is heartbreaking. One thing I'm hopeful about, though, is I know there is increasing communication between these countries and responsible senators. Actually, both parties and Congress people who understand these issues understand the importance of these relationships. I really think Congress can play unusual role keeping these relationships on the right track.
1: You brought up uh, oil because, of course, gas prices are skyrocketing. And yet this president doesn't seem to clearly want to admit that his policies have created much of this crisis in the sense that, you know, not wanting new drilling, vilifying the oil industry. And, in fact, you know, there was a meeting at the White House. It's all these oil executives. And guess what? President Biden doesn't meet with them. And yet he has time to meet with the executives of wind farm companies. I mean, we're, we're not right now panicking about wind farms. We're panicking about filling up our gas tanks. The unfortunate thing is, is
0: his administration is relying on China for the resources to actually get to solar, wind, hydro and penalizing American companies who can't produce things as cheaply as the Chinese can. So it's this crazy situation where in reality, he doesn't want to bring gas prices down at the pump because they believe the high prices will force Americans into this new Green New Deal era that they foresee. Once you have president admitting this publicly, that this is his incredible transition, he wants this. Everybody needs to realize he's not going to actually do anything to bring prices down.
1: Although... November is coming up and the midterms are coming up. It's going to hurt the Democrats politically because everybody is feeling the cost of inflation.
0: Well, that's why I think we're getting into this Jekyll and Hyde situation, where on the one hand, you know, we want to bring prices down. On the other hand, we want to go into the incredible transition. The Saudis are pariah. Now they're our best friends. They, they can't get their story straight because they have this ideological commitment to climate agenda. But then they also want to get reelected, and they don't want to lose the Congress in November. So I think you just see them going back and forth like a ping pong ball.
1: You know, I want to also ask you about, um, before I let you go, also the situation in Ukraine. How serious is it that it looks like Russia has taken a good bit of land, especially in the eastern part of the country? They've also gotten that land bridge. They're making some big strides from a military perspective. How worried are you where this is headed?
0: This is a much scaled-down version of what Putin proposed, you know, three months ago, which was toppling the government of Ukraine. He has had to recalibrate and really lower expectations in terms of what they can achieve. It's not surprising they're making some progress. I mean, this is supposed to be one of the world's great militaries. They should have won 117 days ago. But at the same time, I think it really is a call to anyone who does support Ukraine, particularly the United States, to actually work with them to give them what they need to win.
1: And before I let you go, you literally just came back from Normandy, France. I had the honor of going there for the 75th anniversary of D-Day, and it was amazing and powerful. And I feel like every American, every citizen of the world needs to go see where these great heroes fought and the beaches and get a sense of what they faced. You had a very personal reason for going there, and I want to have you share it because it reminds us of the best among us, our great U.S. military.
0: Like so many Americans, my grandfather, who was Howard Allen Downey, captain in in the Army supporting the 82nd Airborne, came in on the second wave in D-Day, so 78 years ago this month, and getting choked up talking about it uh, when my mother was six months old. So we got to take four of her six grandchildren with her. She had been in the 60s, but before the site had been developed the way it has been now, to just trace his steps up Utah Beach. And it's such a powerful reminder of the achievements of that generation. And, you know, she was six months old when he ran up that beach with her picture in his pocket. I mean, the chills. One of the things I learned about, which I hadn't known, was so many who came in by air came in by these gliders that didn't have engines. So when you landed, you landed. You know, that thing wasn't taken off again. You know, it was one of the ways they did it you know, so quietly and with such stealth. But imagine how brave these people were. And they did it to preserve freedom. All I kept thinking was, let's not squander it in this generation. Normandy is a beautiful place. You know, there are a lot of wonderful things to see, but making the pilgrimage to the beaches, Ponta Hawk, Utah, Omaha, and the cemetery, I think is really important.
1: How proud were you as the granddaughter of a hero?
0: Extremely proud. And the other hero we paid tribute to is Dick Winters, who is another Pennsylvanian, like my grandfather, who was with the 101st and parachuted in and was just a great world hero. And he was from New Holland, Pennsylvania. I'm from Lancaster. Many people would say that's the same place. They're so close together. So it was really meaningful for us to be able to pay tribute to our heroes.
1: Well, how beautiful that you got to see it. And he is smiling on all of you, I'm sure, from above. And it is such a powerful message of the fight for freedom. And how beautiful to know that you have heroes in your own family. I'm not surprised, Victoria, because you're such a fighter for this great country. Thank you for all you do to keep us safe. Victoria Coates, President Trump's former deputy national security advisor. So great to have you here. And thank you for sharing your own family's great history.
0: Thank you, Rita. Take care.
1: And everybody, I'll be back soon with another great edition of Protecting America. And of course, you can catch me every weeknight, 10 p.m. to midnight, on the legendary WABC Radio. This is Rita Cosby, and thanks for all you do to protect America.